Hey, do you ever feel like you get overwhelmed sometimes by the universe of stocks? Like sometimes you don't know what to expect or how to look at them, how to categorize them, what to expect from them. Well, today we're going to talk about the six different categories of stocks and their different characteristics. Today on Stock Stories, episode four. My name is Alex. I'll be your host. And today we're going to talk about how to categorize stocks, how to put them in basic buckets so we can understand their various characteristics. So the thing is that there are so many stocks out there. There are thousands and thousands of them. I've already talked about how In this podcast, we're going to talk about the biggest of those stocks in the U.S. stock universe to start with um, the companies that comprise the S&P 500. And again, I really think this is a great starting point because there's a lot of financial history with these companies. There's a lot of data. They've already proven themselves. They're already big players. So as a learning tool, I think they can be really effective for you and for me to better understand how the enterprise works, how they're going to grow, and where they've been in the past, and what to expect from them. And if you look at the S&P 500, about 70 to 80% of the entire stock market's value, the total stock market in the United States, is comprised of these companies. So understanding these companies will basically help you understand most of the market in the United States. Um, But let's not kid ourselves. Size does matter. And big companies are not going to have the same level of stock price movement and growth as smaller companies. So it's important to make that distinction so that you know what you're getting into from a size perspective. As I talked about a couple episodes ago, if you're a company that has a market capitalization of hundreds of billions of dollars already, you're going to have a hard time growing as quickly as a company that only has a few billion dollars in market cap. So those are some some things to kind of frame the situation from a perspective of size of a company and of a stock. So a few episodes ago, we talked about the basics of what this podcast is going to be about. Then we talked about the various asset classes of the investment universe that you can put your money into. And we talked about those various characteristics and why I like paper assets. And within paper assets, I really like stocks. And if you want to hear that, go back to episode two. In the third episode, we talked a little bit about the history of the stock market, where this whole system kind of comes from and why it exists today Um, so we know a little bit more about what we're dealing with from the broader perspective of the stock market so as i mentioned earlier today we are going to talk about 
different categories of specific types of stocks. So if you look at the S&P 500, the latest data that I could get today as of March 2018 was that of all the companies in the index, the largest one by market capitalization, and for those of you who don't know what market capitalization is, take the number of shares that exists for the company and multiply it by the price per share, and that'll give you the total value of the corporation. Um, so this is in the billions of dollars for these companies. So Apple is the largest component right now, and it comprises over 3.9% of the S&P 500, which is a pretty big percent. And that gives it a market capitalization of $903.28 billion right now. I mean, this is closing in on becoming a trillion dollar company, uh, which is pretty incredible. The smallest component in the S&P 500 right now is News Corporation, which comprises 0.007% of the index, and it is only at a $9.74 billion market capitalization. Now I say only $9.74 billion in market capitalization, but relative to the other components in the index, it is considered really, really small. Um, and you can see between these two companies, News Corp and Apple, there's an, a couple orders of magnitude between those two numbers, 9.7 billion, 903 billion, between the largest and the smallest components. So even within an index itself of quote unquote really big companies, you can have smaller companies that have the potential for higher growth than you know the biggest of the biggest. So what was the inspiration for this episode was I've been studying a lot of Peter Lynch's work. And if you don't know who Peter Lynch is, he ran the Fidelity Magellan Fund back in the 1980s. And this guy absolutely crushed it. He killed it. He beat the S&P 500, I think, every year or almost every year. And this was during the great bull market of the 1980s, too, when stocks were really going up you know, 20% a year, 25% a year, he was doing even better than that. And so I think his long-term record was in the 20-something percent annually as far as growth. And he really built the Magellan Fund up to become the most famous mutual fund of the time. And uh, so he wrote a couple of books about his experience. And one of those books... I've got uh, with me right now, it's called One Up on Wall Street, and it's a great overview for the lay investor how to look at stocks and, um, yeah, how to think about them. Kind of, uh, it, it opens up a window into his brain and his process, which I really like. And he also has a couple other books, um, one of which I've read so far, and so this book, One Up on Wall Street, though, there's a really good section where he talks about the six categories of stocks. How do you navigate the world of thousands of stocks other than just size? Because size is one component, but there are also different characteristics as well that determine how a company grows, how it responds to different economic environments, whether it pays a dividend, etc., etc., etc. So without further ado, these are the six categories of stocks. There are slow growers, there are the stalwarts, there are fast growers, 
there are cyclicals, there are turnarounds, and then there are asset plays. So each of these categories has their own unique characteristics. So let's go into them. So slow growers. These are your companies that are already massive and they're in a very mature phase of their business cycle. They're growing at or slightly above the rate of the economy itself. So think somewhere two, four or 5% growth annually. They're just kind of plodding along. Their earnings are just growing slowly but surely. Um, and they're just doing their thing. They, they've been in business for a long time. Investors know what to expect from them. The, the economy at large knows what to expect from them. And they're just kind of doing their thing. Another characteristic of a slow grower is that they pay a really big dividend. So when a company tends to mature to this size, it usually doesn't have a lot of uses for its cash that can make the company grow at a pretty fast pace. So in order to attract investors and make sure that they're happy, a slow grower will usually pay out a good portion of their earnings as dividends. And this can be really great for investors who really want that current income without having to sell off shares of their stock. So they're just getting paid just for owning the stock. So that's a, a key characteristic of a slow grower. Some examples of this, I was looking through some of the current S&P 500 right now. Um, one is Kimberly Clark, I would say, is a good characteristic slow grower from at least a surface level look. It Kimberly Clark is one of the largest distributors and creators of tissue paper in the world. If you've ever blown your nose with Kleenex, that's Kimberly Clark. So it's one of those companies that makes a product that's already everywhere. And if you think about it, the growth of the number of Kleenex that people use, it probably isn't going to grow much faster than the rate of the general population growth unless there's some sort of big market share increase that's going to happen and or they really innovate and invent some like new kind of Kleenex or other paper product that people really want. And Kleenex is not their only product. I'm just using an example of one of their famous products. But they make paper products. And yeah, so I would say that they're kind of a slow grower. If you look at their earnings over 10 plus years, they just kind of move along and they go up a little bit. Um, so that is the category of a slow grower. The next are stalwarts. These, this is one of my favorite categories. Stalwarts are, you can think of them as medium growers, but these are the quote unquote blue chip stocks. These are the stocks that everybody knows about. These are the ones that were fast growers at one point in time and became juggernauts over time. And what you can expect from a stalwart kind of a stock is usually in the, the high single digits to low double digits earnings growth. So that usually equates to about 10 to 12% earnings growth. And the stock price will usually go up to match that earnings growth over a long enough period of time. 
but the key caveat is you have to pay a good price for it, um, which is a podcast for another day. But stalwarts, they usually pay a dividend and or they buy back shares of their stock um, in order to increase the earnings per share. By eliminating the shares outstanding, you increase the earnings per share of the company. And Wall Street likes that and will probably push the stock price up to match that. So these are the companies that are recession-proof. Or if they're not recession-proof, they're a lot more resistant to recessions than many, many other companies that are in sensitive industries. So think of a company like Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola sells syrup concentrate to bottlers around the world and people love drinking their products. In over 200 countries, over 3% of liquids consumed on planet Earth are Coca-Cola products, including tap water. That is how uh, widespread and how loved Coca-Cola's products are. So I would definitely consider Coca-Cola a stalwart. They pay a decent dividend. They grow their earnings, you know, mid-single digits probably over time. And yeah, they're just one of those companies that if a recession hits tomorrow, people are probably still going to be drinking Coca-Cola's products. So the third category is fast growers. These are the ones that everybody talks about. These are the ones that everybody wants to find. Why? Because they deliver explosive returns in the shortest periods of time. So fast growers, these are companies that are growing their earnings at 20 to 25% annually. They're just, they're killing it. They're expanding really fast. People are loving their products and services and they're paying up for them. So this is the kind of stock that can multiply your money by 10 times. This is the kind of stock that can multiply your money by 40 times, 200 times your money. If you can get one or two of these fast growers in your portfolio, it can make your career. Um, I mean, imagine investing $10,000 in Chipotle or $10,000 in Amazon back when they were just starting. They were just really fast growers and, and still are, um, but you would have made, you would have made a killing. And so everybody is trying to figure out how to buy these companies. So this is another category. The thing about fast growers is that it's tricky to figure out when the growth is going to stop because inevitably, if let's say Amazon keeps increasing its its revenues at the current rate, well, it can never increase its revenues at the current rate perpetually because then it would literally take over the entire world and there would be nothing left to consume. It would it has to stop growing at a certain point based on the limitations of the global economic system. So there's only so far a fast go- grower can grow. I mean, at one point, IBM, that was like the biggest tech stock ever, and it was growing really fast and made a lot of people wealthy. Well, now IBM, eh, maybe it's considered somewhat of a, of a stalwart. It's, it's been around for a long time. It's still growing in some ways. Um, it's buying back a lot of stock, etc. But it's definitely not uh, a Chipotle Mexican grill that has compounded at 30% annually for uh, over the past 
10 years or so. Um, so yeah, so there are fast growers today and those fast growers will hopefully become the stalwarts and the slow growers of tomorrow. But there are a lot of people dedicating a lot of time to finding those fast growers now. And I think that can be a worthwhile endeavor. Um, so that's one category of stocks that everyone loves to talk about the Amazons, the Chipotles. The next category are cyclicals. These are just what they sound like. They go up and down with the business cycle, with the natural economy. And there are certain industries where it's pretty predictable, um, not when things are going to go up or down necessarily, but that they will go up and down. So think about the oil companies. Think about the airlines, the car companies, the chemical companies. Think about all the commodity-based companies out there. Think about a company that, like Alcoa is an example. So Alcoa, which stands for Aluminum Company of America, it's a massive industrial company. They produce all sorts of screws and bolts and nuts and and aluminum plate and, and all kinds of products that are based on aluminum. Now, the price of aluminum can be very volatile and it goes in cycles. It goes up and then it goes down. And so dependent on that, that's going to affect the price that Alcoa can charge for its products very significantly. So Alcoa is an example of a cyclical company. Um, the same thing with a company like Ford. People might think of Ford as a kind of American stalwart, and maybe in some ways it is because there's a lot of history there. Henry Ford started it. The whole story of the Model T is, is known by almost every American but at the same time, Ford, it's a car company and people will go through cycles of buying cars as far as new cars, buying new cars and buying predominantly used cars in the marketplace. And those numbers will shift a lot. So back in the recession of 2008, 2009 timeframe, people weren't buying a lot of new cars. And so that affected Ford's profits significantly. So Right now, in 2018, the past couple years have been very good for car companies, uh, at least for Ford, I believe. And so those earnings are going up and up and up. So it's, it's interesting to see that different types of businesses within this realm have different cycles. And really, I want to say that all types of businesses have cycles to them, but there are some that are way more cyclic in nature than others. And those are the stocks that I'm talking about here. Even the stock like ExxonMobil, like this stock is a stalwart. This stock descends from Rockefeller Standard Oil. This is a company that is a mammoth company and pumps out millions and millions of barrels of oil per day. This is still a cyclic company. When the price of oil collapses, ExxonMobil is still going to be hurt. Chevron is still going to be hurt even though these are, in many ways, pillars of the American economy. So uh, it can take several years before the price of ExxonMobil, for example, gets up back to where it was before the oil slide in 2014. So you have these companies that have certain characteristics that are affected by the price of commodities or the price of goods that are inputs to their business that vary a lot, are very volatile. 
The next category are turnarounds. So as Peter Lentz says in his book, quote, in minor tragedy, there is major opportunity, end quote. And I really like that quote because it kind of comes across with this value-based mindset that sometimes things will go wrong and people will vastly overreact to them. And that difference between the overreaction and the thing going wrong is where the opportunity lies. So sometimes companies are going through hard times. It's the reality. Not every stock is going to go up neatly 5, 7, 15% every single year in its earnings and or its stock price. That's just not going to happen. And if you're expecting that, you shouldn't be in stocks because it by itself as an asset class is volatile and you need to be prepared for those 30%, 50% declines. But anyway, the turnaround stocks, these are companies that are going through a rough time and you as the investor see them and think, hey, it's going through a rough time. That's true. But maybe there's an opportunity to get something out of this. Maybe the company is worth more than it's currently being valued at. So an example of this is back in the day of the Three Mile Island uh, nuclear disaster. So the company that owned Three Mile Island was General Public Utilities. And when the accident happened, the stock went all the way down to $3 or $3.38 a share or something like that. And over time, over a couple years after the cleanup happened, people moved on to more breaking news, started thinking about other things. Wall Street gradually forgot about it. The stock went up to $30. So in this case, there can be significant opportunity in companies that are experiencing some hardship, even even hardship that is devastating to people. And maybe people are really harmed by things that are happening. But that doesn't mean that a stock is being properly valued at that point in time. A point that Lynch makes in this section of the book that I think is important to note is that with a turnaround, it gets a little tricky. The desired outcome needs to be a measurable outcome. How do you know that this quote unquote turnaround stock isn't just headed for bankruptcy? You need to look at the risks. So when you're looking at a turnaround stock, Pay special attention to the balance sheet of the company. How much debt does it have? How is that debt structured? Is it going to have to pay that debt back right now or in five years and 10 years? If a company is going through hard times, maybe it has enough cash on hand to weather the storm, or maybe it's going to need to borrow a lot of money in the short term in order to make it through, but it'll still be okay. So these are just questions that you need to ask and think about when you're looking at a potential turnaround opportunity because you don't want to be headed for bankruptcy. But as I mentioned with the Three Mile Island example, a lot of money can be made if you're right. So one example of a turnaround right now that I think is a turnaround is a company like General Electric. Even though this company is in many ways a stalwart it's a massive industrial company with um, a lot of profitable segments. It's been really hurt lately by its power division and its acquisition of Baker Hughes into an integrated oil and gas company. Uh, it's, it's really been hurt and it just hasn't been doing that great in those segments. 
Now, in the other segments of aviation and healthcare, it's been killing it. It's been doing awesome. It's making jet engines. It's making all sorts of medical devices. It's, it's doing well in those segments. But uh, Wall Street doesn't like the fact that there have been all of these impairment charges and et cetera, et cetera. I'll get into this in more detail when we talk about General Electric and devote a whole episode to it. But needless to say, this is a company that is struggling right now. And as a result, Wall Street has pounded this stock. Over 2017, General Electric stock went down over 50%. I mean, this is incredible for a company of that size to have that massive of a decline in stock price. So when you see something like that, take note and and ask yourself, okay, how bad are things really? And how bad are things being priced at? And look to see if there's any differential between those two things. Oh, another example I wanted to mention was Pacific Gas and Electric. So this is another utility. This is out in California. This is a company that provides electricity to, I forget the number, but a lot of people out in California. Now, when the wildfires happened earlier this year, and maybe it was late 2017, I don't remember, when those fires happened, the price of the stock fell over 6%, which for a utility, usually considered a slow grower, um, it's highly regulated and restricted in its profit growth. Um, for a stock like that to fall 6%, that's that's kind of a big deal. And it suspended its dividend temporarily. And so you need to ask yourself, okay, is this warranted? Are the people who rely on this company's products and services going to keep paying for those services? And And what are the litigation costs related to this wildfire? And are the litigation costs justification for that stock price going down long term? I don't know, but it may be an opportunity. So turnarounds, as you can see, they can become very hairy situations and a lot trickier to discern the probabilities of the potential outcomes. But if you're right, they can be great money makers. And the last category are asset plays. This is if a company owns something of great value that's currently being ignored by the market. And this can be anything from real estate to intellectual property, or sometimes companies will own a really big stake in a little known subsidiary. And maybe the parent company isn't doing that great, but the subsidiary is absolutely killing it. And so as a shareholder in the parent company, you would benefit from that ownership chain. So just little things like that, things that might not be noticed at first glance, but when you dig into the reports, when you dig into information about the company, you start to realize that there may be something of value that's being ignored. And an example of this was the Penn Central Railroad. So Pennsylvania Railroad, the railroad industry in the United States was the majority of the economy of the United States back in the 20s. And even throughout the 50s and 60s, railroad stocks and railroad companies were considered, I think, faster growers. Um, And Penn Central was one of those major American companies. Now, the people who ran Penn Central Railroad, they started to do some financial engineering, really diluted the value of the corporation, and 
if you want to learn more about that, you can you can look it up. But they basically went through bankruptcy in the 70s. And the thing is, when they reemerged from bankruptcy as a new company, they had all sorts of things. They had rights to Manhattan airspace. They had real estate in New York. They had uh, real estate where the tracks were all across the country. And there was all sorts of little things here and there that were tangibly valuable, but weren't at one point recognized by the market as such. So um, asset plays are another tricky category. I mean, how do you know if company X's real estate is worth way more than it's being carried on the books? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you, you have to dig into it and have that skill set. So, but just to show that there are stocks out there like that and there can be great value in them. So those are the six categories of stocks. If you're looking at a stock, first look at the size of it. Is it a small capitalization stock, a mid capitalization stock, or a large capitalization stock? As far as how many shares outstanding are there multiplied by the market price? If a company is a billion dollars or less in market cap, that's pretty small, and there's a huge potential for growth there if there, there is success. If it's a large cap company, as we mentioned before, maybe nine plus billion dollars, all the way up to $900 billion in market cap, then there's opportunity for growth, but maybe not as much because the companies are bigger. So first, dissect the company that way, and then in your analysis, dig down into, okay, how do I categorize this type of stock? What category does this fall into? And based on that category, you can shape your expectations as to how to value the company and how to think about the returns that you might get from it, or also the risk you might incur if you're wrong. So a a way I like to think about it too is that a company might be a hybrid of two categories. So I mentioned ExxonMobil earlier. I see this company as not only a cyclical, but also a stalwart because of its history, because of its financial strength. You look at those two things together and you say, oh, okay, it's a stalwart. So maybe it's really good in recessions and it's healthy, but it's also a cyclical and its profits will fall from time to time and that will affect the stock price significantly. So if you put those two pieces of information together, here's the conclusion that I come to. ExxonMobil is a powerful company that makes a lot of profits over long periods of time. When the price of oil significantly drops temporarily and the price of the stock significantly drops temporarily, that might be a good time to get into a company like that as compared to, say, a much smaller oil and gas company that's out there um, that's maybe a few billion dollars on market cap and is much more susceptible to the fluctuations in the price of oil and might not be around tomorrow. Whereas ExxonMobil, it has that strength of cash flow and it has that balance sheet to back it up. Even if the price of oil were to collapse to, say, $15 a barrel for years and years, it would still be able to survive much, much longer than those smaller competitors. And in that situation, Exxon would probably go and buy up all the assets of the competitors 
that are going bankrupt because they can't survive with oil prices that low for that long. So that's just one way of how I think about combining those categories of different stocks and seeing how that will describe the personality of the company and the personality that I should expect from the stock. So those are the six categories. I hope you got some value out of that. I had fun researching this and and thinking about it. And so what we're going to talk about in the next episode is we've gone from this big picture of investing down to stocks. Okay, we've got stocks down to companies and large companies, what are the different types of stocks and different types of companies um, as far as economic characteristics? What about a company? What about the anatomy of a company? What are some basic important things to know? And so that's what we'll be covering in the next episode of Stock Stories. So until then, I'm your host, Alex. I'll see you next time. Stock Stories is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only. You and you alone are responsible for your investment and financial decisions. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, or financial advisor that can analyze your specific situation in the context of your goals and circumstances.